Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn how to glorify Him. The lesson you're about to hear is from Steve Garrett, one of the brethren in the Franklin Church of Christ, who spoke to us from the book of Acts about the first Gentile convert. Open your Bible and let's learn together about the conversion of Cornelius. We usually remember those who do something for the first time. Who was the first man who stepped on the moon? Neil Armstrong. Who was the first president of the United States? You're right, Jimmy. George Washington. In the Bible, in the book of Acts, we have an account of the beginning and growth of the church. And we have, beginning in chapter 2, the first gospel sermon preached by the Apostle Peter. As we go on through the book of Acts, we have more and more examples of, of people becoming Christians for the first time. And when we get to Acts chapter 10, where we're going to spend some time this evening, we have another first. All the conversions that had been made to Christianity prior to Acts chapter 10 were those who were Jews who were converting to Christianity. When we get to Acts chapter 10, we have another first, and that is the first person who is not a Jew becoming a Christian, a Gentile who obeyed the gospel named Cornelius. And this evening we're going to look at the conversion of Cornelius, because I think there's some things that we can learn about that that will help us as we, first of all, know what we ought to do in order to be saved and, and to know how we can be converted to Jesus Christ. And then secondly, as we come in contact with those who do not yet know Jesus, how can we talk to them about the Lord? So this evening, let's look at the conversion of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And the first point that I want to draw your attention to in regard to that is that we have to understand that salvation is needed by everybody and that it is available to all people. Let's begin reading in Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. Luke says that there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a, devout, and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now when we first come across Cornelius, of course to the Jews it would be obvious that this is a person who is not one of God's people. Because to the Jews, you could only be one of God's children if you were born a Jew. 
Judaism is a, was a national religion. It was a family religion drawing uh, its roots all the way back to Abraham. And Cornelius was not of that family. But when we look at Cornelius from the eyes of uh, the 21st century, what we see is really a good person, don't we? It says there in verse 1 that he was a centurion. He was in the military. He was in the Roman military, in the uh, Italian regiment. But verse 2 says that this soldier was a devout man. He was one who feared God with his household. He gave alms generously to all the people, and he prayed to God all the time. But this person needed Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul there uh, makes a, a statement as he's getting into his letter to the Romans where he's going to make the point that all people need God. He says the Jews could not live up to the commands of the Old Covenant and did not, and therefore they are under condemnation of God. And then he reveals many things about what we would call the pagan world, everyone who wasn't a Jew, all the Gentiles, and they were also under God's condemnation. And when we get to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, Paul kind of sums the whole situation up when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Whether we're talking about a Jew, whether we're talking about a Roman soldier, whether we're talking about a person who is... In, in our eyes, really evil, or whether we're talking about a person who's living a pretty good life, everyone needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now think about some of the people that you know. And we're just going to kind of break people down into two broad groups. We've got people that are what we might call just, they're good moral people. Maybe we associate with many of our friends or, or good people. They would do anything for you. If you needed anything, they would give it to you. Maybe our next door neighbor, somebody who's always there, if they, if they see that your dog's gotten out, they're going to go get him for you. If you're out of town, like our neighbors do, they'll go collect our mail and our newspaper for us. Good people. People that you work with. People that have been friends of yours all your lives who are not Christians, but they're good people. Cornelius tells us that they still need Jesus Christ. They need the gospel because all have sinned. And then there's another group of people. We might talk about people who are murderers, people who are immoral, people who are prostitutes, people who are drug dealers, people who are, are liars. You know what? They need the gospel too because all have sinned. Everyone has sinned, Paul said, Romans 3.23. And salvation is needed by everyone, and it is available to everyone. But secondly, I want us to look at the fact that good moral people, morality, miraculous events, or prayer alone is not enough to save someone. When we go back and look at Cornelius in Acts chapter 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 10 and verse 2, as we mentioned a while ago, he was a devout man. He was someone who feared God. We go on reading down in Acts chapter 10 in verse 30. We, we find a little bit more out about him. Cornelius said four days ago, and, and here's Cornelius relating an experience he had to Peter. Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. He, he, he was a person who fasted. He deliberately uh, would deprive himself of nourishment to 
dedicate himself more to God. Until this hour, at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. God recognized these things that Cornelius was doing. Now, that's a lesson to us, too, and we want to say sometimes, well, you know, God's not going to hear the prayer of a person if they're not a baptized believer. Well, that's not what we read here. Here we read that his, his alms and his prayers were heard by God and recognized by God. Now, that's not to say that he was forgiven of his sin, because he's going to be told he still needs to do something. But God recognized these offerings of his. In verse 31, excuse me, in verse 24, going back in Acts chapter 10, in verse 24, it says, Now, the following day, they entered Caesarea, and this is Peter and the people coming with him to see Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Again, we see in Cornelius, not only did he have this personal devotion to God, but he was sharing this with other people. His relatives, those of his household and, and his close friends, he had called them together because he wanted them to understand what was going on as well. This was important to Cornelius. We can certainly see that as far as a, a, a great human being, someone who cared for other people, someone who wanted to serve and fear God, he's right up there with the best, isn't he? Now, he has this situation, but going back to verse 3, where as he is praying to God about the ninth hour of the day, which was his traditional time to pray to God, he sees a vision. And a miraculous situation takes place. God sends an angel to Cornelius in this vision. And it says he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And he was afraid when he saw this vision. And the angel goes on to tell him, as we just read, that your prayers and everything that you're doing has come up before God and he is recognizing this and, and God is going to tell you something that you must do. You need to do something, Cornelius. Now, we have people today who will say, you know, as far as my accepting Christ and as far as my being saved, I know I'm saved because this miracle took place and I just knew in my heart that I'm saved. Or they might say something like, you know, I had a dream or I had a vision and God was telling me, you know, you're all right. Now, we can't necessarily argue with someone who's telling us that they've had that feeling. All I can say is, well, that's, that's with, between you and God. But what we see in the Scriptures is, even if someone were to say that, in Cornelius' situation, that wasn't the point at which he was saved. But see, that's just the beginning point when God sent this vision of this angel. This is the beginning of Cornelius learning and hearing the truth. But he still needs to do something. And we also see that prayer alone is not enough. His prayers had come up to God. We read a couple of times. Have you ever heard people or, or read tracts or pamphlets from those who are, are trying to teach people the way to be saved with God and say, what you need to do is you need to pray this prayer. And there's a very specific 
prayer, or, or maybe it's, they may even say something like, you know, in your heart, pray a prayer like this, that, Lord Jesus, I want to be saved. Please come into my life. And they'll say, now you're saved. There's never a person that we read about in Scripture any more honorable than Cornelius as far as his prayer life. But prayer alone was not enough to save Cornelius that we see. God recognized his prayers and God heard his prayers, but that was not enough. In verse 6, after saying this, he is told that he needs to send for a certain person whose surname is Peter. In verse 5, he is lodging with Simon and he will tell you what you must do. So all of these things that we've talked about, his good life and and the miracle that takes place in his prayers, he's still being told, now you need to go get Peter, and he's going to tell you what you must do. And so the third point then that we're going to look at is that we have got to hear something. Hearing is very important in God's Word. God gave us His Word so that we could read it and understand it. Now let's look down in verse... Uh, chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. Chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. Now here, Peter is recounting to another group of people in Jerusalem the events that happened surrounding the conversion of Cornelius. And Peter says there that he t- that uh, Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. So Cornelius told Peter when he gets there, This is what happened to me in this vision. I was told to send for you. And this angel in this vision, a representative from God, told me that you're going to tell me words, and then when I hear these words, I can be saved. You know, that's something we read about in the New Testament several times. If you want to, turn over to Hebrews chapter chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Here's a great chapter on faith. Most of us probably know that. Hebrews chapter 11, a great chapter on faith. And it says here in verse 6 that without faith, It is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We must have faith in God if we're going to please God. And we'll hear that a lot from the religious world. What you've got to do is believe. And I'll tell you, that is true. And we need, to, we need to accept that and honor that, that without faith, without believing in God, we can never please Him. But how do I get that faith, is the question. Is that faith just going to come through a miraculous intervention of an angel, an emissary of God to me, like it did to Cornelius? No, because his faith didn't come to him that way. His faith came to him when he heard the words that the Apostle Peter would teach to him. In Romans chapter 10 in verse 17, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's only one way that I know of that I can have faith in God, and that is through His divinely revealed Word. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, of course, it's natural then that Cornelius was told to send for Peter who would teach him the word of God because there's only one way that Cornelius can have faith. And that is through the revealed word of God. Look back again at Acts chapter 10, this time down in verse 47. Peter does come. And uh, we're going to talk in just a minute about the vision that Peter had, because he also had a vision. But when Peter comes in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10, it says, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now Peter goes on to preach a gospel lesson about Jesus of Nazareth. He said, that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day. And showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Now there's the gospel message in its entirety laid out before Cornelius. That God had appointed His Son, Jesus of Nazareth, had anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and power, that He confronted the devil while He was here on earth, doing good, but the power of God was with Him, and and Jesus performed many miracles. He was crucified at the hands of the Jews. He was raised on the third day. And he was seen by witnesses, namely the apostles and others, who were commissioned then to preach this message to everyone. And this is what Peter told Cornelius when he came to him. He heard the truth. And part of hearing the truth was what can I do then, now that I've heard this truth, in order to be saved from my sins? In Acts chapter 10 and verse 47, Peter says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and they asked him to stay a few days. So the last picture of What Peter told him, besides the gospel message, was now, here's what you need to do. You need to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul is also recounting his own conversion on the road to Damascus. And he says in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 that he was told, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord by Ananias. We also read in Matthew chapter 28, the words of Jesus Christ himself. Matthew chapter 28, 
verses 19 through 20, is uh, Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven, that he left word with his apostles what they ought to do. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what did Jesus tell them to do? To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we know that this baptism, as you know, there's disagreement over what exactly baptism is. And I'll just make reference here to Acts chapter 38. Acts chapter 8, rather, in verse 38, where we see that uh, in regard to the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, that the same message he was given, that he had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 38, So Philip and the eunuch, he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So we see here in regards to the conversion of the eunuch that his baptism was involved in going down into the water and a coming up out of the water. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 3 and 4, we also understand about baptism, understanding that it is immersion in water because it is a semblance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Romans chapter 6, and uh, in verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, when it comes to forms of baptism, which form of baptism is a likeness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Many people refer to baptism in the sense of sprinkling or pouring. But in sprinkling and pouring, there is no immersion. In immersion, there is actual going underwater and coming up out of water. Now, those examples, which one resembles or is the likeness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Well, it's obvious that that is immersion. And so when Cornelius was commanded to be baptized here, we understand that his baptism involved immersion. And then, as I mentioned, I want to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Peter got a vision in Acts chapter 10 as well. In Acts chapter 10, uh, after Cornelius had seen the vision of the angel, and he's told to send for Peter, it says beginning in verse 9 that now we catch up with what Peter's doing. It says, The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while he made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, 
wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. And right at the end of this vision, it says in verse 17, that while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So Peter is given this vision of this great sheet coming down from heaven with all of the unclean creatures in it. And this takes place three times and then the vision's gone. And right then, the men sent by Cornelius come to his house. And he's thinking about this vision when these men come there. And it's going to be important to Cornelius because he is now being called upon to go to the Gentiles. And the reason that this vision is so uh, important in this situation is that the Jews considered anyone who was not a Jew unclean and would not have anything to do with that. So God had sent him this vision saying, what God has made clean, let no man call unclean. And Peter perceives that this vision was important to him to understand that God is doing something different now. Ever since Abraham had been called to be the father of the Jews, the Jews and the nation of Israel had been God's special people. They had received God's divine revelation, His Word in the Old Testament. And we've had thousands of years of Jewish history leading to Christ. And Christ has come and now we have this situation with Cornelius where Peter's going to be called upon to go to him and overcome years and years of prejudice and belief, understanding that God has changed things. And so he does go to him. And we read on in, in regards to the conversion of Cornelius, that shortly after God had Peter preach his sermon to him, in verses 34 through 43, it says, beginning in verse 44, that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. So we see this miraculous coming of the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and his household, just as it had in Acts chapter 2 upon Peter and the apostles. And we've seen the same manifestation of the coming of the Holy Spirit in that Cornelius and these Gentiles were now speaking in tongues just as the apostles had on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The coming of the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit as the apostles had only happens two times in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. The first gospel sermon and the first time the gospel was preached to the Gentiles. Very important situation. 
In verse 15 of Acts chapter 11, when Peter preaches the Gospel to the Gentiles, you might say it got himself in a little hot water with other Christians who had come out of Judaism. Because up until this point, there was no, I don't think there was any belief among the early church that this was going to go any further than the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The Methodists, His apostles were Jews. All the early Christians were Jewish until we get to Acts chapter 10. And now we see Peter going off and preaching the gospel to Cornelius and these Gentiles. In verse 11, it's, uh, chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in the order from the beginning. And so he starts with his situation of how he saw this vision and how these men from Cornelius came and then how he went to his house and how he preached to them, how the Spirit had directed him there. And he goes on to say in verse 15, And as I spake to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. Why did the Holy Spirit come upon Cornelius? Let me first of all point out to you that the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household before his baptism, not after. Just like when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it came upon them before Peter preached the first gospel sermon. And it was in that gospel sermon that Peter was able to say that we must, that all men everywhere must repent and be baptized, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And just like that situation, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles here, just as it had on the apostles, and they're speaking with tongues, a miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit. God is showing to Peter and the other Christians who had come with him that he is approving of this situation. God is saying, I'm approving of these people hearing the message, and just like in Acts chapter 2, they need to do the same thing. And so Peter tells them to be baptized. And when Peter recounts this to his fellow apostles in Jerusalem, he says, As the Holy Spirit came upon this group in his house, I remembered the words of Jesus. When he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And his conclusion then, based upon seeing that vision of the great sheep coming down and God saying, What I have cleansed, let no man call unclean concluding again that because the Holy Spirit had come upon them and they were speaking in tongues, just as they had in Acts chapter 2, that what these men needed was the gift of salvation. And he says, I gave it to them. And that is, I told them that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then do not withhold water from them, that they would be baptized into Jesus Christ. 
And all of those in Jerusalem agreed with that. And then they come to the conclusion that God has granted the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, I want to make a point on it. And then we're going to end the lesson. It's real common today to hear people talk about, you know, the Holy Spirit working in them, or the Spirit's telling me to do this, or the Spirit's telling me to do that. And people say, well, I know that I was saved because the Spirit came upon me, or I I was sick and I was healed from something because the Holy Spirit healed me. And I don't have to do anything else. But then we say when we look at Cornelius and the Holy Spirit coming upon them and them speaking in tongues of all sorts, then he's saved, isn't he? No, he's not. Despite this great manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous events that follow, Cornelius still has to obey the gospel. He still has to... Uh, be baptized for the remission of his sins. Cornelius is a good story. The first conversion of the Gentiles. And it teaches us these lessons that everyone needs to be saved and that God has made salvation available to all. It teaches us that just being a good person or a miraculous event or being someone who prays to God is not enough. We still have to obey the gospel. That when we hear the truth, we have to obey it by being baptized. I don't believe that today we have the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit as they did in the first century. What we have today is is really... A greater miracle, I think, and that is the divine Word of God that has been given to us by God and preserved throughout the ages so that we can know what God's will is. And when we read it, we can understand it and we can obey it. If you're here this evening and you're not a child of God, maybe you, like Cornelius, are a good person. And we don't stand in judgment of what you are in your life. Whether you're a good person and pray and help people, that's great. Or it could be that you know you've done a lot of things that are wrong. Committed sins. Everyone has sinned, as we read. So what we need to do is obey the gospel. If you'd like to obey the gospel this evening, the Bible says, He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. And we're going to offer that invitation right now. And won't you come as we stand and sing? I hope this lesson about the conversion of Cornelius has been beneficial to you. If you have any questions about Cornelius' conversion or about how you might become a Christian or simply what the Bible says about being a Christian and being converted, please give us a call at 615-794-2359 or you may contact us through our website, which is www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson in CD or tape format. If that's the case, can I encourage you to go to that website I just mentioned a moment ago. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. At that site, we have numerous lessons that you're free to download, both in audio and outline format, and use them in whatever way that you believe will glorify and honor God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.